Welcome to the Free Birth Podcast, a supportive space for people who are learning, exploring, and celebrating their autonomous choices in childbirth. Together, we'll unpack truths, share personal stories, and claim our ability to birth freely and intuitively. Here's your host, Emily Saldea. It's your calling to become an authentic midwife? Do you dream of attending women in birth? Have you felt frustrated trying to be a birth worker in the system? Are you looking for a better way to walk with women in total integrity, supporting mother-led physiological birth? Are you dreaming of building a thriving, profitable business as a birth coach? Well, we are thrilled to announce that enrollment for our Radical Birth Keeper School is now open. Classes begin June 1st, so head over to our website and get the details. The time is now, and we need you to join us in this birth revolution. www.radicalbirthkeeperschool.com Concluding our Radical Birth Keeper series, we have today an experienced traditional birth attendant, Lily. Lily was trained as a medical midwife and quickly came to learn that she could be no such provider. Instead, she found her way through traditional apprenticeships and trusting the call to serve women in a way that felt safest with mothers at the center. Lily shares how her own birth was a journey into darkness and we discuss birth attendance as shamanism and how to say yes to that deep calling. All right, welcome everyone. Today we are continuing our series following radical birth workers around the world, remembering that radical just simply means serving women in full integrity outside the system. Um, And so today we have my friend Lily. Welcome, Lily. Thank you. (laughs) Hey. And she, Lily, is a unlicensed midwife or radical birth keeper uh, here in Colorado. So I'm really excited to be sharing your story as I don't know you well, but I do know that that you serve women all over and um, in all different circumstances and that you are, my understanding is that you are really somebody who um, is willing to uh, receive and support women who are being risked out or pushed out of having supportive experiences in the system as if that even actually happened. So yeah, I'm excited to to hear your story and to contribute to this series of inspiring women to um, really find their own way, standing with women in in full allegiance. Yeah, totally. I know the risk the risk out crowd is some of my favorite because it's like people who find their intuition in the midst of the crazy birth experience, and so it's it's I love this. I love doing. I love attending those births. They're super fun. 
So take me kind of, let's first do maybe like an overview of what your work is and anything, anything kind of worth, um, contextualizing. And then I want to go kind of to the beginning of just where this work started for you. And, um, you know, like we were saying before we were recording, I don't even know if you started in the system and then moved out of it. If, if you were always a traditional birth attendant, um, so yeah, tell us a little bit about you. Yeah, so where I am right now, I'm a licensed midwife. I got trained traditionally and then sort of had to decolonize my practice quite a bit. Um, it wasn't that hard, actually, because it makes sense to just trust women's intuition or trust birthing people's way. Um, but right now, I basically attend anybody who needs help. And I haven't had to say no to anybody at this point. Um, oftentimes, it's people who are risked out, people who feel unsafe going to the hospital for whatever reason, custody things, various things, um, people who've had traumatic births in the past, and then just people who are really empowered and in wanting to birth outside of the system and just not have anybody, yeah, just not be violated by the system. And so um, I started traditionally, actually, I went to a birth clinic in El Paso called Matanita La Luz when I was 17. And I um, I really enjoyed my experience there. But in hindsight, it's the place I've seen the most violent, some of the most violent births. I have a lot of issues with the way that that school runs in relation to how it treats women of color and how people learn. Um, I'm really grateful for the experience I got there. It's a really mixed bag, that one for me. So then my last birth there, I, um, I think it was on like my 18th birthday. And I, it was the birth of a 13-year-old th- mother and her grandmother came with her and they walked all the way from Juarez and she, the grandmother was a midwife and they were coming over to the clinic so that she could get citizenship for her baby. And I was like, please catch your grandbaby. I'll be here if you need any support. And it was a super busy day. So it was just the three of us. And she had a beautiful birth. And at the end, the grandmother was like, why don't you come like work with me? We need, we have a lot of women in the kind of outskirts of Juarez that need support. Yeah, in Mexico. And so I, I um, left. I was, I was, part of me was thinking about going on, like continuing on with the school. And then I was like, no way. I don't think I can do the CPM thing. Your hands are so tied. Why, like, why even bother? So I went and I worked with that midwife in Mexico for a little bit, um, who was amazing and taught me a lot of the traditional ways. And um, and then I came back here and I worked with a mountain midwife for a second. Then I just realized that midwifery is not midwifery as we know it today is not a thing I can do. And I've I've just seen so much violence with it. And even when it's beautiful births and the midwife is awesome, it's really hard for me to not see the imposition of regulations and paperwork and questions in these things as a form of violence. And I can't, I would never want somebody to treat me that way. And I cannot, um, I cannot treat other people that way. So I just started, attend, I just started offering, like, I, I want to call it a midwifery service, but it's not really just like birth keeping um, for who came my way. And I, um, But yeah, so I don't, I don't do paperwork. So I don't consider people numbers. I don't like, I just, I just couldn't do it. So I got all the training of a certified midwife. And then it's just very quickly, I was just like, oh, that's not the way. Um, you know, I, I have a lot of, I have the skills of a trained midwife and that I carry meds. I know how to do hemorrhages. I've seen probably every complication in the book and I, I know how to handle all the ones that can be handled. Um, and, and I almost never have to do anything because when mamas, you know, and birthing people, when pregnant people are in their 
power and when they're, you know, al- allowed, goodness gracious, when they're, you know, not messed with, people know when everything's going okay and they know when something's going to go wrong. And so, like, for at least for the people who come out of the system, they're coming out of the system because they know everything's going to be okay, right? So I've never actually, I've, I, I attend a lot of high-risk folk um, who leave the hospital or who leave their mid- midwife. Um, and it's just because they know that they're okay. And they always are. I've never had any of those births. I've never attended any of those births and had them be, you know, end up in anything wrong, you know, anything hard. Um, so in my, you know, I've been midwifing for about 10 years now and I've attended over 200 families or 2000 families. Um, and that's a lot of people, 2000 families in various situations. And I've never, ever seen a mama's intuition be wrong. And so for me, as a midwife, it's really easy because I just get to listen and hold space. And if someone says something's up, then I'm there to hold space for that. And, and yeah, so basically that's, that's my journey. I've also practiced in refugee camps in East Africa, and I've practiced in hospitals in Honduras, and I've um, practiced in Mexico in various places. Um, but mostly it's been attending women up here and up in the Colorado area, like between Denver and Fort Collins, or actually really between Colorado Springs and Fort Collins. And it's been such a blessing, such an honor to attend Mamas this way. And so your name just kind of gets passed around and... I guess. Yeah, <laughs> How does that work? <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I had a doula web for a second, um, but a lot of my doula clients ended up being midwifery people anyways, you know? Um, they ended up just being like, I don't want to go to the hospital right now. And it's like, well, you don't have to. Let's stay home. And then we have beautiful home births. But um, I took it down and I have just been, it's just been word of mouth. And I actually don't know how most people get my my name. I, I know that in some circles where they don't support unlicensed midwives, they know that I exist. And I've actually gotten some referrals from some of those midwives <laughs> even. So it's just random. It's all over the place. It's interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, that is definitely... If you're willing, I'd like to dive into some of that, like how to be underground, how to serve underground, what does transfers look like, what is um, even finances, like kind of the the nitty gritty of being underground and, you know, and, and you have a particular... Um, layer that you do carry meds, you do, you know, you do carry um, truly like the bag of the medical midwife. Yeah. So that, that has another layer, I would say of risk, you know, because worst case scenarios, you know, you, you are carrying things that very much highlight the medical side. Yes, totally. And, and I call, I call them my good luck charms cause I almost never use them. Um, but cause I'm, I use herbs more than anything else. I'm a trained herbalist. Um, but yeah, but I do carry them and I do sometimes give IVs or the birth is super long and the person wants it, you know, but yeah, I, I don't see those things giving me that much more risk. Cause I don't, no one's ever come and like, you know, explored my, my basket to see what's inside of it, but transporting um, yeah, to be like, oh, this person's already had an IV. Like, you know, you just be really careful about what you say. Um, honestly, in Colorado, my transport rate is almost zero. I, I have almost never transported it. I, let me think. I've transported twice in Colorado and both were, um, well, no, three times. Two of them were elected. Like the mamas mm-hmm. just felt like it was a lot. They wanted to be in the hospital. Totally fine. I came with them as a doula mm-hmm. um, and was completely accepted by 
the, you know, as much as any doula is by the, the hospitals. Like what's the conversation there of where's the midwife? Where's the... Right. Well, so I, I usually have this conversation before I, before the person gives birth, if I've met them before they give birth, which is not always the case, um, but wow. usually it's just like, um, it's not illegal to have an unlicensed birth or not unlicensed. It's not illegal to have an un, unassisted birth, you mm-hmm. know? Um, and they could, uh, oftentimes people also say like, we just wanted, we wanted to go to the hospital, but we just didn't make it in time. Or like, mm-hmm. we're going now because we were in labor and we just had a feeling like it's time to go in. And I just play the stupid doula and it works really yeah. good. Um, yeah. And, and, you, and I've never had a, a person I'm working with like say anything else. Just be like, yeah, they're the doula. They don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, it's all good. And I've never been questioned by hospital staff in any kind of a way. And then I had one family where the placenta was a, like a previa accreta and there's just no possible way that that person can survive at home. And so we ended up going in, but we stayed at home a long time and that was um, – but yeah, but it was fine. We started labor at home even and then went in and it had a beautiful birth. And and did she have that knowledge about her placenta from medical technology or from obvious yeah, symptoms? She had chosen to get an ultrasound because she had had complications with a previous, um, not previous, well, a previous pregnancy that she chose to not continue. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she, um, yeah, so she had gotten an ultrasound and found that the placenta was pre- was previa. Um, but it was such an early ultrasound and placentas migrate, you know, and I, I've also seen, and I mean, working the way I do, I see all the exceptions, you know, I'm mm-hmm. like, well, I've actually seen somebody have an amazing birth with a placenta previa. That doesn't mean that it's necessarily a safe thing to do, but again, mom's intuition is always right. This person had a, had a complete placenta previa and not, not the person that went in, but the person who I saw give birth. And she was like, you can come over now. Like, I think I'm going to have a baby. And I'm like, oh, are you having contractions? And she's like, well, no, but I just have the feeling. So we like went over and we like opened a circle. And then she just let out this intense scream and her baby just came flying out. (laughs) (laughs) Like, what's going on? It was beautiful. The baby was breached and kicked her way through the placenta, which I didn't like. I don't even I don't even totally know how that's possible, um, but she had had no labor beforehand, no spotting, no anything. You know that would be the 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 risk, right? Because it's the risk is bleeding. But the baby just came out and pulled the placenta with her, and they named this baby Rocket, which is because she's <laughs> such a spitfire. But it's like I've seen it happen. Mm-hmm. So with this other mama, I was like, well, you know, we can stay at home until you bleed if you want, just because we're so close to a hospital, we can do whatever you want to do. And she, um, so we did that. We just we stayed at home until she was starting to have a, a little bit of spotting and then we went in hmm. and and it was fine. Yeah. And, and did I mean, she have was, a surgical birth? She did. Yeah. She had yeah. a surgical birth that was very beautiful and difficult just because it's really not what she wanted. But course, in that yeah. case, that that's like one of the very few cases where I'm like, I'm so grateful for cesareans, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, so... Yeah. yeah. And it's interesting. I, I I heard you a couple of times say, you know, mother, mother's intuition always knows and, and that you haven't seen that be wrong. And that's an interesting kind of layer there because what even is wrong, right? Like it's all about exactly. the mother being supported to fully take responsibility and evaluate her own risk. And exactly. so I know women who have done so and, um, and their children didn't survive childbirth you know, mm-hmm. and, and I know women who are really at peace with that and they fully understood the, uh, the risk that right. is innate 
to being alive and to childbirth and pregnancy and postpartum and, and life in general. I guess and by so, wrong, I mean like an undesired outcome or something, you know, like I've never seen a, a mama be like, oh, I wish I would have known. or I wish somebody told me like, mm-hmm. like I've, I've, in, you know, like I said, I've attended over 2000 people and I've never seen that be wrong. Mm-hmm. And if something is happening, if they are not comfortable with death as an outcome and something's happening with their baby like they know before I do you know like they mm-hmm. people are always like can you get can you just listen real fast or like something's weird we got to go in or just whatever people know what's up and and that's awesome <laughs> so you offer do you do you offer the the different medical aspects of what a cpm may have like sutures or Yep. Pitocin or yep. I got it all. A Doppler. I a, yep, I have a full kit, and I always check in with the person. I never, I never touch people or do anything to people without their full consent in the moment. Like even if a baby needs to be resuscitated, I ask the, the parents first, um, just because I'm, that's like one of my shticks. Like it has to be consensual. And um, so yeah, I carry the full kit, and I like I said, I consider it my good luck charms because I almost never have to use any of them. <laughs> um, and, uh, but yeah, I have them and they're all up to date. I have a couple of midwife friends around who are licensed and who, you know, who keep me up to date every mm-hmm. now and then when I go to Mexico, I can just grab those things mm-hmm. in the pharmacies. Um, but yeah. So. so how do you navigate or what are your, what's kind of your take on things like vaginal exams? I, I think I, you know, I think there's a place for everything and, and almost never with vaginal exams and Mm -hmm. it's really up to the person. Um, however, I always have like, I'm always like, cool. If you want a vaginal exam, I'm totally done to do it, but let's talk about this first. Like, why do you want it? What do you want to know? Like, um, just because I've seen, I don't actually believe that vaginal exams are that helpful unless like there's really something going on, you know? Um, I feel like you can tell baby's position just by how the hips are looking or by how the labor is going. And you can, you don't have to like feel necessarily the sutures of the head. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, I'm, I'm okay with all presentations. I love breech babies. I love, you know, whatever, like baby can come out however they want to come out. Baby will come out. We know that babies always come out. And so um, I don't, and I, and the numbers, I just don't see making any darn difference. Like I've seen, mm-hmm. I personally was nine centimeters for three days. And I know people who've been 10 centimeters for long periods of time. Mm-hmm. And I also know people who were like one and then gave birth like two hours. Later. Oh, totally. Or like that you know, who knows if that pre- the woman who had the preview was dilated, like who knows, you know? So mm-hmm. I just don't think the numbers mean almost anything um, just because they can change immediately. And I, so I, yeah, I, I, I don't like vaginal exams. I'm happy to do it if somebody wants them. Mm-hmm. Um, so how do you, how do you navigate the arena of trust, which, you know, I think we would both agree is kind of inherently self-protective to this type of work. So when you are joining, you know, women that you've never met before or getting, you know, referred to people at the end of their pregnancies um, and navigating, like you said, often a higher air quotes, higher risk population, um, how do you navigate that dynamic? How do you set yourself up energetically or logistically to be self-protective, you know, or smart, whatever is like the right word there for you. Um, and how do you navigate the, the trust that is kind of needed, the, the mutual respect and reciprocity and understanding and, and like, what does that look like for you as a independent midwife? 
Right. Well, I always, I always just have the conversation with a parent beforehand, even if they're in labor, I just have a quick little like, Hey, we're putting all of ourselves at risk. Please, please. If we go to the hospital, just call me a doula. <laughs> like I'm just mm-hmm. here, you know, like also this is your birth and I'm not going to do anything to you. That's not, you know, your decision. So a lot of it is that like, it's all in the parents' hands, right? Like you can't, like, it's all their decision what happens. And I'm just there to support them and perhaps be, you know, like have, you know, have the herbs or have the meds on hand if they want it or whatever. Um, so I've never actually had anybody. Um, and even with like, yeah, I've just, I've never had anybody, I've never had to worry about that. And I also just feel like, and I don't know if this is the best thing to say because if like encouraging people to step out, but I feel like I just have a contract with spirit where I just say, whoever comes to me is who, you know, whoever calls me is who I'm supposed to support and it's going to work out. And I know that spirit will just take care of me. Mm -hmm. And so far that's been true. And, and I just, I totally trust it. And like, there's been times where other midwives have, you know, referred people to me. And then that person is like, actually, I think I'm going to go to the hospital. And then they end up having like, you know, a a stillbirth or a really hard birth or whatever. And in ways that I'm like, oh, cool. Makes sense. That person wasn't supposed to come to me, you know, like Mm -hmm. they were supposed to be there for whatever reason. And um, it's, yeah, yeah. it's as if we could like really organize around the mother making her own decisions. (laughs) Exactly. And so, yeah. (laughs) Mind blowing. (laughs) (laughs) So for me, it's just like, I trust, like, I just, I'm, I am not doing anything. So there's no reason for anybody to be mad at me because I'm not going to tell anybody, like, I don't have any opinions in the place. I'm just holding space mm-hmm. for what a, what a parent wants, what, you know, what a birthing person wants. And yeah. So, so I hear, I hear you consistently saying parent and birthing person. Do you work with a lot of trans lot men? Of, yeah. I work with a lot of, a lot of the queer community who doesn't identify on the gender spectrum or who identify as trans men or who identify, who, you know, are just in various like gender fluid identities. And so, yes, I do work with a lot of queer folk and it's great. Yeah. I'm just so, I'm so kind of smitten with your story that it's just such a great example of you being down for the work. It called you so early and you just kept saying yes and kept saying yes and finding your integrity with it. And from what I understand, you're pretty darn busy, you know, this, 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 uh, you know, vocation is just calling and it really speaks to, you know, in a relatively large you know, city area in which you live. I mean, of course you're busy because I know there aren't many women willing to, uh, to do what you're doing. Um, how, how does that look with the rest of the birthing community? How does, how does all of that work with licensed midwives? And I mean, even though we are in a city, I know the birthing community is still fairly small and fairly tight. Well, I usually, they don't, the people that don't like me, and it's not like they don't like me on a personal level. They just don't like unlicensed midwives. Um, yeah. Dissenters. Right. And it's mostly, they're mostly the Denver midwives and and not all of them, but they, it, they don't like it because the way that the system has been set up for midwives is that if I get investigated, they have to pay for it. Right. So they've set up a system where if somebody, you know, if any midwife gets investigated, all the midwives' taxes go up or however it goes. I don't totally understand. Whoa. But it makes sense why they're like, why are you doing this? You're going to raise our taxes. We don't have, you know, we're not getting paid enough as it is. Like, you know, we don't have extra so that you can just be flipping about this, you know? And it's like, mm. well, totally. And also like, I only pretty, not only, but I pretty much have like good outcomes and like, I'm not going to get caught. So don't worry about it. You know, <laughs> like you don't have to know I exist. It's cool. Go do your thing. But I know that there's, 
yeah, like there's, and you're not, you're not flippant about it. I mean, the fact that you very intentionally are willing to go above and beyond of standing with the people that call on you, you know, with, with no, uh, with actively risking yourself to not be beholden to the systems that oppress us and handcuff midwives. Like it's, I don't know, that's, it's pretty like offensive that anyone. And I, I also wonder, I also wonder if it's a little bit of like, um, just like remorse on their part of like, Mm -hmm. you know, very few people go into midwifery because they want to like control women and bend totally to regulations like people and yet yeah right and yet people are scared because the system is really strong and it's hard to decolonize your mind when everything coming at you is like be scared be scared be scared right so um like that's why I think that's one of the reasons why there's so much violence in the hospitals because they're all scared of the darn lawsuit you know like they can't practice in a in like a conscious way and same with midwives right and their training is all totally rooted in being the hero you right. know, and that, and from like the broken little lady who right. doesn't know right. anything, you know, when, when we as a culture set up the dynamic of a birthing woman, that she's essentially stupid, right? you know, and that she needs to be saved from this horrific right. experience. Stupid and and it's, a fl- it's just like, no. <laughs> so yeah. And a flawed machine, right? Like right. it's all obviously obstetrics and now midwifery as, as a medical extension of that is all rooted in, uh, you know, I, I read this thing in an obstetrical book a long time ago that said, birth is not proven normal until <laughs> three days postpartum. <laughs> And it really sums it up, doesn't it? Like yeah, you don't totally. even get the chance. You don't even get the chance. Whereas authentic midwifery, which is largely not practiced, but it sounds like you do. And and I do thankfully know many women around the world who do practice authentic midwifery. And I would flip it to say birth is normal until proven otherwise, right? Yeah, totally. And- Absolutely. And and, it, and phys- like, if you look at the statistics, even, you know, right. to like, it is normal the vast majority of the time. Of course. Right. And normal by my normal, I mean, like without need of any interventions for, uh, you know, an outcome that has no morbidity or mortality, you know, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. so. So have you navigated the realms of, of death work much? Well, so I do death work on this, you know, I do, I do death work with elders and just with other people with terminal illness, but I have not actually had any deaths. I, I have, I have attended home stillbirths, um, where it was known prior, Mm-hmm. Um, but I have not, uh, I have not, as they say, like, I haven't lost anybody here, you know, mm-hmm. um, which is uh, not really the words I'm wanting to use, but I haven't, I haven't ever had a death of a, you haven't witnessed a surprise. I, I haven't witnessed a surprise death in the U S. Um, actually I had in the clinic, the, the clinic that I trained in, there was a death of a mother at the fault of the hospital, but I witnessed Oof. that when I was, oh my God. yeah, so hard. But when I was practicing in Africa, there was a really high, you know, really high case of a really high prevalence of malaria and various Mm -hmm. different things. So there was quite a bit of death actually of babies just because malaria Mm. causes a lot of fetal death. Um, And, and, and I've seen some in Mexico and I've seen just a couple maternal deaths um, that were not under my care, but that I was supporting another midwife, um, not in the U.S. And yeah, I, I was just in Mexico recently sitting with a, a large circle of radical women who pretty much all free birth in this one sweet community. And somebody brought up a concern of like, you know, like, what about death? And they're all like, death is part of the, part of the cycle, you know, like death mm-hmm. is okay. And just a comfortability with that. Um, so I can't, I guess I really can't speak to it that much since I have not had it here. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And yeah, yeah, I've come really close, but I have not had it myself. So tell us more about your, your work in Mexico. Yeah. Were you attending births down there? Um, well, so when I, you know, like when I left that school, I was attending lots of births in Juarez, but just recently I was there only for, you know, like I think five months and I was attending births, um, just a few, most of the women in the community that I was in, um, really love midwives as like consults, consultants more like to Uh be like, Hey, is this cool? Or like, Hey, I was thinking about like the quarter on the neck. What do I do if that happens? But Uh they don't actually want you to be there, which I really love. I think it's so rad. I like, like I love witnessing birth. It's great. But when somebody feels like they just don't need you there, it's great. Cause it's just like, cool. You, you are so in yourself that you just don't like, you're good. So like birth is such an integrated part of, of the consciousness. So when you are, when you say that, that most of these women free birth, do you mean they just have their family around and it's just like another day in their life kind of thing? I mean, it's a, it's a really big thing. And we tend to like wrap a lot of ceremony around the beginning, but usually in the birth, just in this particular village I was in, um, yeah, most of the women are just with their partner and their other kids um, and maybe their mom or something, but usually Mm -hmm. nobody other than like really close family. And yeah. yeah, have you ever seen that video? It's a Mexican midwife. She now lives in Brazil. Her name's Nioli. I don't know. What is the video? You know that is? It it's, sounds it's really familiar. Birth. Yeah, it's like very popular in the birth world. It's called Birthday. And it's this Mexican midwife lives in a small village in Mexico. And it's just like a 20-minute little yes. documentary of yes, the birth of her third child. Yeah, they so used I, to show that at the clinic. I started exactly. My, exactly. Yeah. They show it like doula trainings. And I used to show it to my prenatal clients and all this stuff. And it didn't even occur to me until I had already started free birth society that that was a free birth. Yeah, totally. It never occurred to me because obviously, you know, free birth is so vilified throughout North America. And yet this one particular video was a free birth, but maybe because she was a midwife, it gave people more permission to support it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So how... So how does this go on to inform you becoming a mother? Because it sounds like you were attending births from the time you were 17, 18, and then, and how old, you, you have one child, correct? Yep. I got one kiddo. Um, and he, he's like two or something. Yeah. Two and a half. Yep. And so how does this go on to, it's always so interesting to me when, when, women like myself, you know, spend all these years attending, um, before we enter, you know, that rite of passage and then the things that stay the same and the things that are totally different. And I just remember in my, my first couple of days postpartum being so floored and blown open, having gotten to walk through, you know, through that veil myself and, and really was able to feel the birth space in a very different way now that it was a part of the fabric of my consciousness. Yes. I'm wondering how that was for you. I think very similar. I think I, um, a lot of my birth was about death. Like I chose, I, I chose to do it unassisted. I ended up transporting myself. Um, my unassisted version was being either totally alone or with my partner who is not very supportive, who just does not know how to hold that space. And also were, Mm. you know, was just not super supportive. So you were alone with just, with just him. With just him and or just myself, and um, in like a tiny cabin that was so sweet, but it had no running water, so I had no hot water, and that ended up being kind of an important part of my release. Ooh. Yeah, it was just it was and like I had to keep the fire going to keep warm. It was just kind of, it was just a lot to handle. In hindsight, mm-hmm. I wish I would have had a little bit more support, but I had mm. such I have 
I've just seen so much abuse in the birth space that I had a really hard time trusting um, that anybody could really hold space without like doing mm-hmm. something unconsensual, which is my own things that I had to work through. And it's funny that so I ended up in the hospital, but yeah. Right. So you didn't have any women in your life that it felt like the right yeah, I, I did not, mostly because it was like midwives um, or doulas who, you know, are just used to a different model of it. And I, mm-hmm. I was, it's not a model I'm at all comfortable subjecting myself to. Um, and yeah, like I, I know I, now I, in hindsight, I didn't, I didn't totally know if I was doing it again, there are two potential midwives I might consider having. Um, but yeah, I I love a lot of midwives in this area, like really dear, dear friends and lodge sisters and things. And I just have a hard time trusting that they could put away like the really, really mm-hmm. tr- intense training that has been in their minds again and again and again. Mm-hmm. That's um, legit. Yeah. And I've, I've just heard midwife sisters who I'm just like, oh, you're like my comadre and I love you. Um, discuss births where you know they're like and then I pulled out the Pitocin and I'm like okay well did you ask the mom did you try herbs first did you like what was in I, I, mm-hmm. I if I had you at my birth that you would just pull that out before I was okay with that or just like do it before you know because you're in emergency mind without mm-hmm. my consenting and it's like yeah so I, I just was not in a, a space that I was able to feel comfortable with anybody in my birth. Well, it doesn't even sound like it was about you not being in the space. It was that there weren't the right people, right. You, know, you know what I mean? Like, which comes first? I mean, maybe you would have been open to it if you had been seeing women really able to hold shamanic yeah. space. You know, right. And really that's really what I needed others. was a medicine worker more than a Exactly. Midwife. That's what we all need. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> so. But that is a midwife. That yeah. is authentic midwifery. I, I mean, when we pull back the layers of the, you know, the, this whole just absolute betrayal of what midwifery has, you know, become, what it really is at the gooey center, you know, is shamanic walking, you know, shamanic exactly. holding, exactly. shamanic work with women. Right. And it's really quite appalling that there's so many liars out there. I know. I agree. (laughs) Yeah. And also like sort of, and none of like very, I don't know. I I've been to one midwifery school and I've had friends and others and like so few actually delve into the depth of the altered state Mm -hmm. or transformation in that way. Or I don't know. And a lot of my personal birth was about death. I was really okay. I felt very much like I was going to be confronting my own death, the death of this little one coming through. And that was all okay. And I really wanted to go into it and nobody could hold that space with me. Um, like nobody could, and which because of fear, right? So, like, if somebody attends a birth where someone dies, like it's on them whether they're a birth worker or not, you know. So, um, potentially, not always, but potentially. So, I I couldn't ask a lot of my sisters to come because right. I was like, there's a you know, I I'm really wanting to do nothing, and I really want to like embrace the fullness of the veil mm-hmm. in my own body. And I just, mm-hmm. I didn't want to put anybody at risk and I just didn't have anybody that would have really been able to like accept that risk in a good way. Yeah. And I've just seen a lot of midwives who, when they do break the regs for people, like they have such intense fear that it's almost like mm-hmm. not worth it, you know, like it's a hundred percent. I, mean, I like, know oh. so many women who think they want a free birth and so they hire midwives to right. be doulas. Right. And, and, and I get it. I think it's strategically, I understand kind of the first layer of thought there, but, um, but it's asking a dog to be a cat. And so right. don't, <laughs> don't do that. Right. <laughs> you know? So then, okay. So then you are, 
it sounds like you have a very long birth and, and you feel largely alone. You don't have a great setup in the cabin. Well, and also get this. So like, I, I feel like I'm a pretty good, mid- well, I don't know. I feel like as a midwife with other people, I don't touch without consent. I don't do vaginal exams. I don't listen unless the person wants it. I'm just like really, I'm like sort of intensely hands off unless the person asks for something different. Um, and with myself, I was super not that way. I was like, I like somehow just reverted back to this like colonized midwifery mindset. Totally. And I was like checking myself all the time. <laughs> and like, I so broke my water even. I'm just like, what? how am I doing? So I, it was ridiculous. Wow. And so I was checking myself and I was like, I was in, I was in active labor for six days um, and vomiting. What the fuck? Yeah. Really intense and vomiting um, almost anything. I, so I didn't get, have almost any food during that time. Mm-hmm. I was really ha- having a hard time holding down liquids. Um, mm. And I was like nine centimeters for three of those days. And like, it was just very intense. And then I was just having an unsupportive partner. I was in a really cold house. Mm. I didn't have any water. It was just a lot. Oh my God, that yeah. sounds awful. It was just not, yeah. And like in hindsight, I really could have set that up a bit better. But I also just didn't have that many options. or didn't feel like I could really create those options for myself or right. that I wanted to. I guess I wanted it to be hard in some ways. Right, really know. right. Who knows? Yeah, exactly. Um, there sounds like there's a lot of layers to it. There's so many layers and, um, and it was really amazing because we were in the mountains and like this mountain lion came down and like parted the mist and like said, Hey, and these foxes came up. So there was a lot of beauty to it. And I had a lot of intense visions, but yeah, it was, it was not, there was nothing easy about anything in that labor. Wow. Um, Yeah. So, um, well, it makes, it makes me think about Yolanda's, one of her famous quotes is birth will decimate you. And that's one of its gifts. Yeah. And I I remember after, you know, obviously, you know, I had a long labor and I remember not six days, but I remember, you know, after the second day being like, I I'm not decimated. So I guess I'm nowhere near having this fucking baby (laughs) because I'm still fine. So when is this going to decimate me? And then it eventually did. Right. Well, I felt decimated on like day three and I was like, all right, I'm ready. That's fair. That's fair. (laughs) Yeah. Day three is fair. But I actually think that that's one of the things that informed my practice the most was being decimated. Like understanding like that now I can hold space. Not I, I know a lot of midwives who are amazing midwives that have never had children. I trust them completely. They're excellent. Um, but myself, having been decimated, <laughs> I can understand and hold the space in a medicine yeah. way so much deeper now. Um, and, I, and I also mm. just, yeah, it's, it's just, it's a medicine journey for me that's mm-hmm. so much deeper now that I've been on it. I'm like getting chills. Like, yeah, um, the intensity of that space for mm-hmm. me was such so wonderful and and something that I've seen um it was so hard and it took so long to heal from and and I'm still sort of processing it all but I see how much deeper I can hold space now um yeah like even just silently when somebody is being decimated (laughs) yeah and it's a lot of working with the darkness and allying to the darkness and processing that and that it's not obviously all rainbows and butterflies. And right. And that's my jam such... anyways. Like I walk in the like shadow work is I'm down, I'm in, but going there yourself in such an intense way and being like brought to that space. It's like and the most vulnerable. Else. Yeah. And you didn't have, you know, the shaman holding while you navigated that darkness, which right. obviously is what you do now, but that's, that's the, that's like the, I mean, everything, you know, you've, it, I'm not going to say everything happens for a reason because I hate that sentence, but <laughs> it, it's sad that women are navigating their 
their darkness and their deep vulnerability, which often is not pretty and can be really dis- disorienting without that shamanic holder. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think of like in plant ceremonies, when you do have that right person and you can really lose your mind and lose your control and still be held in a container of safety. And that's it. Yeah, that's totally it. Like you are completely transforming your entire being in like a very short bit of time and it's very yeah. intense and like someone's there to hold you or, or you know, the container's there to hold you, the fire's there to hold you, whatever it is mm-hmm. that you've set up, like you will be held. And I just had, I had not, I I had had a dream in my early pregnancy that like Baba Yaga had come to me and was like, I'm your midwife. And I was like, great. (laughs) So I'm being like midwifed by the really harsh crone. And it's really what happened. Like my birth was really very much held by, you know, sort of the dark unconscious force of the crone. And it was really intense. And it's, I think Mm. it's probably exactly what I asked for and it's what I got. So, and I'm grateful for it um, as hard as it was. (sighs) Yeah. 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 And, um, and then I ended up, I ended up going to a family member's house to try to, I just couldn't handle holding the energy that my partner was putting on me. So I was like, let's just go. I'm going to try to take a shower. Um, And then I, it was like day five, I think. And I felt a bulging bag and was like, I'm just going to break this because I know that like my partner can't handle being this way much longer. I don't know Mm. if I can. And I just, and I, so I broke the water and there was like very light neck in the water. But then I just, which it wasn't a big deal to me, but I just couldn't really feel the little one move as much as I had been right after I broke the water, which makes sense because if they engage a little bit more, they won't move quite as much. But in my mind, I was like, oh, and I left my fetoscope up at the cabin. And so I was talking with the family member and elected to go in to the hospital to, oh yeah, I started, I started pushing um, as soon as I broke the water and I couldn't Mm. stop, I couldn't stop pushing. Like my body was just doing it. And then I checked myself and I had gone from a nine to like a very swollen three. Um, And like if numbers, you know, if you're paying attention to numbers, that's like a very depressing thing, right? And so, Uh um, but again, numbers mean absolutely nothing really. So, um, and that's a really common story with survivors. I see that happen a lot where you're like almost there and then you have to like take four Mm. steps back and then like reapproach, you know, reapproach the gate again and again. Well, you're, you're like rewriting your whole relationship to it. Right. And so, <sighs> yeah. yeah, so I ended up going in because I was thinking like, oh, if I'm pushing and I'm just going to push till I'm closed, then like baby might be distressed and I might need to get like an epidural to stop pushing because I just can't stop. That's exactly why pushing. I went in. Yeah, totally. I know. I, That's so, crazy. Yeah. Um, so, uh, we have a mutual friend that attended your birth and she was like, oh my God, your birth sounds so much like Emily's. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, <laughs> totally. But... Um, so I went in and I was like, y'all, I just need an epidural. I'm declining everything else. And then I saw that it was fentanyl. And I was like, hell no, I'm not giving my baby fentanyl. I asked actually, I was like, epidurals aren't fentanyl, are they? And they're like, no, no. And then they brought out the little pack and it said fentanyl. What did right you think? I don't what even, did you think they were? I don't even know. I thought it was some other, something else. I thought it was more just like a spinal block. I don't know why my brain was just, but I didn't. Well, it's both. I mean, first of all, five days in labor, you're allowed to not think straight. Yeah, so. <laughs> but also, but like, for anyone listening, let's make sure they know that an epidural is local anesthesia with either stadol, fentanyl. You know, and it could be paired with morphine as absolutely. well. Absolutely, and, yeah, and I had asked, I had asked if there was, you know, any narcotics or opiates in the epidural. They said no. I asked if it was. Oh my god. No. Um, 
And my, wow. my family and my partner both have like really strong histories of uh, opiate addiction and narcotic addiction. And I was like, there's no way I'm giving my baby this. Like, I don't give a shit if I have to do something, whatever has to be done. Like I will not, I will not take this. And so um, the original, the midwife that I was, that I came in and the midwife that was on the CNN, I was like, yo, and the midwife, um, I know what's happening. This is what's going on. I am declining all of the shit because my water's broken. I have, I, you know, whatever. I'm just declining it all because I know I'm okay. You're welcome to listen to baby with a scope for, you know, some time. But then I, like, then I just need to hang. Or then I probably need to go home. And she was like, well, because there's neck in the water, you can't go home and the insurance won't do it. And I know they told you that too. And it's maybe not true. I don't totally know, but they said my insurance wouldn't cover it. And No, they, they never told me that. I, yeah, I don't, I don't know, but they said they're like, insurance won't cover it. If you leave, there's neck in the water, you have to stay. Cause it'd be against medical advice or whatever. So I was like, okay, well I'll just stay and decline everything and just do it myself in this stupid room. And so, and wait, hold on real quick. So what was the thing that brought you in? Was it the, um, I the was, feeling the was, epidural needing it, the epidural? Yeah. Cause medically I was like, okay, been in labor six days, water's broken, light neck. You don't have a fetoscope to check baby's heart. Again, I'm like, first, all of a sudden I just revert back to like really medical midwife mind, which I never, ever do with other people. Mm-hmm. But, um, but uh, yeah, which I'm just like, why, why did you do that? But it's just, I think it was kind of the last decolonizing. They asked me to pee in a cup and I asked if it was for protein. I was like, well, my water's broken. So I'll have positive protein and I'm declining any antibiotics. And they said, yeah, it's for protein. It ended up that they were trying to drug test me without telling me, which I, I like wasn't on any drugs. I would have happily peed in a darn cup. Um, they ended up calling CPS on me later for that. They're like, you declined the drug test. I'm like, you never told me you were giving me a darn drug test, but it's a good thing to know now for people going in. Um, but, uh, I ended up just like hanging in the water on basically knee chest for a while until I could kind of stop pushing. And, um, the midwife that was on was really respectful. She was like a German woman and she was very, very respectful. And then, at the final end, there was a change of shift, and it's always the story. There's a change of shift to a midwife that has been kind of like jokingly called the worst midwife in Colorado. Like the no. worst. Yeah, I know. I'm like, oh, of course, this is the person that I get. I've heard so many stories since with this particular midwife, and they've all been hella dramatic. Um, and I, she was like, why don't you get on your back and let's just have this baby? And I was like, well, I'd really like to try maybe hands and knees or, you know, squatting. And she's like, well, you have to do it on the bed. And it's like, well, I don't know. It's really, they didn't put any bars up or anything. And so I f- it felt like I was going to fall off. And I was like, well, mm. I'd like to try it here. And once, you know, once I can feel the baby's coming, I'll get up on the bed so you can see what's happening if you want. And she, it was just like, no, she was touching me without my consent a whole bunch. It was extremely violating. She had her fingers all up inside my body after I was telling oh. her, please don't, that's traumatic. Please don't do that. That hurts. I don't care if I tear. It's okay. And she's like, you do your job. I'll do mine. This is very, oh it was so, yeah, it was felt extremely violating in all the ways. And, um, and your partner is just my partner watching. is just kind of zonked out next to me. Um, not helpful at all. Um, wow. and, and, you know, granted he was really sleep deprived, but also, my, um, he's just a different kind of a human. Doesn't totally know how to hold space for that kind of stuff. Mm. But it is what it is. But, um, but yeah, you're not with him anymore. Um, I am in the process of leaving him right now. <laughs> so, okay, because yeah. I was like, how do you bounce back from that, man? Yeah, that's it was that's ex- some serious betrayal. Yeah, it was it was extremely hard, and especially like as a midwife to have like that be what my experience was was so disappointing, right. and also like really good medicine for me in some ways, mm-hmm. I guess. And 
Um, but yeah, baby was born. I like immediately grabbed him um, and like pushed off the pediatricians. I was like, he's crying. He's totally fine. Look, he's latched. Please don't touch him. Please don't touch me. All is good. I'm declining <sighs> everything. And so then like five minutes postpartum, I have like the whole pediatrician team come in and telling me how I'm killing my baby because I'm doing a lowest <gasps> birth. <laughs> like, and she pulled out my placenta and I'm like, it's not detached yet. See, you can feel that it's flat up here. It's not detached. And she, again, was just like, you do your job, I'll do mine. And she totally prolapsed my uterus a good bit, <gasps> which I'm still working on getting back. And it's just like, yo, who teaches you guys? <laughs> like, this is ridiculous. Um, and you have to, have to be so many different things at once when exactly. you give birth in war. Right. You know, you have to have like your wits about you in a way that doesn't, you know, that totally like caps what what could have happened you know the safety and the wild woman that's right. in respect and reverence like that having to contain that and do that in a way that is is yeah in battle is just it's intense so it's intense and also like you know having like them immediately come messing up with the spawn in time and then you know the people come and they press on your belly so much harder than is necessary like I've been doing this for 10 years. I know how to get clots out of uterus. I can do it myself in a way that won't hurt me. Like, please leave me alone. So it's, I, I totally respect people's decisions to birth in a hospital. Like to me, it's like whatever the birthing person wants is what's good and they should have access to that. But it's hard for me to, it's hard for, it's hard for me to ever feel like a hospital birth cannot have violence in it. Cause it's like, even if, even if you want it, like, do you really want somebody coming in, like, causing you pain that's not totally necessary? Do you really want somebody coming in and telling you what to do when it might not be the right thing? Do you really want, you know, it's just like, is that really what you want? It's like, I've, I've witnessed gorgeous hospital births. I've had, I've had like three hospital births out of many hundreds that um, were absolutely gorgeous births. Um, but the postpartum was then like super intense, you know, like immediately the person's like rushed to the thing. And yeah, it's like, it's like, you can't have it on. And I'm like, oh yeah. So it's, it's hard for me. Like I completely respect people's choices. I, I don't respect that system at all. And I don't, yeah, I don't understand why we allow it to be that way, you know? So. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I, I don't know if that's, if that's like the, how can you respect someone's choices and not the system that they're choosing when we can pretty safely assume they aren't aware of how much abuse and violence is about to happen to them and their child. Totally. But I also know that for some people, their homes aren't a safe place to give birth either, right? So it's like, what options do they have if they don't have the community whose homes they could birth at, you know? And it doesn't, it doesn't mean it's like better or worse or anything's, you know, it's like, just like that we live in a very broken system. And so it's like there, there are many choices and the vast majority of them are very broken and have an element of violence towards, towards you know, the body with a woman. Yeah. Um, there, you know, midwives that practice in this way, in the way that I try to practice and the way that some midwives around here try to practice, like to me, that's the only way I've seen mm. that doesn't have violence. Um, and, and I, I, you know, and it, ha you have to have some little parts of it, which is like, you have to have a place to birth in. And granted, I've, I've, you know, helped babies come totally. out in cars and tunnels under the city and various different plant fields, you know, but, but also like a place to do your postpartum, a place, mm -hmm. to, you know, there's, it's just, it's, it can be complicated, you know, but, which is why the vast majority of the time I have like a birthing person in my house. <laughs> like I have so many people give birth in my house, but yeah, go on. And I think it makes it more complicated that 
most people going to birth in the system have no idea what's about to happen. Right. Or they, or they, they've already assigned, they've already like resigned themselves to being treated this way. And that's what it is. It's like people, I think people do sometimes have an idea because we see on TV, like the pooling and the intensity and whatever, you know, that ridiculous idea of birth that we have. And, um, and people are just resigned to it. They're resigned to giving their power up to the medical system because it's what's best. Like what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's, it goes so much deeper than birth, you know, like we have to, mm-hmm. you know, I'm using the word decolonize, because, um, but you know, it's existed in pre-colonial times as well. We just have to like really detox the fear out of our system and regain the idea that we deserve to be treated without violence as a female body, like, good Lord, like this whole system is based on violence towards the female body, you know? So it's like, Mm -hmm. it's like, it goes so much deeper than even just birth. It's like all of our gynecological things. It's like people do know, and they've just already resigned themselves to being totally treated that way, you know? Like it's very, it's very, very sad, which is why I really love what I do for work. Mm-hmm. And I love when people leave, like I've had a lot of hospital walkout mamas and it just makes me so excited because <laughs> it's like, cool, you're finally get, realizing this, that you deserve so much better than that. Yeah. So you said at the beginning of this, that sometimes you get called in labor to go attend. Tell, tell Actually, me about pretty, that. Pretty, pretty often. Um, I probably have as many people that I don't know um, before I'm, you know, at their, at their birth that I do know. Um, it's about half of the people that I'm attending right now and, or just in general. And um, usually it's that people are, you know, in the hospital being made to do a decision that they know is not right in their bodies. Like I had one mama who was a fourth time, this is her fourth baby baby and she had birthed all the other ones in the hospital but totally natural super beautiful she really enjoyed those experiences and they were going to give her a cesarean for low water or no because her waters had been open for like too many days or something silly and she literally walked off of the operating table pulled out her iv in her darn hospital dress and just like walked out <laughs> which i love wow um, so i i get a lot and of she just happened to have your number in her back pocket you know, she had like a medicine friend who um, goes to sweat lodge with me sometimes and mm. like who actually had been to a sweat lodge with me one time. And the medicine person like sent out like a group call and was just like, can anybody support this mama? And I was just mm. like, yeah, totally. Ended up having like the most gorgeous birth. Mm. Um, we were like, she had, was like surrounded by sisters and we were all drumming because we knew mm. these certain medicine songs and the baby like came out during like the Mexica butterfly song and just mm. like, it was beautiful. But regardless, um, and a lot of them are, you know, want to birth in birth centers or with, you know, CPMs, um, but then they get transferred to the hospital. Mm-hmm. And I think that probably the two most common things are post-dates and oligo, which is like low waters, mm-hmm. um, which I just don't believe in either of those things being a problem. Or breach. Just done. Yeah, or breach or twins or whatever. Um, but there are people who like wanted to do the semi-natural thing with like, a, you know, a CPM or a birth center or whatever. The birth, don't get me started on the birth centers, but mm-hmm. I... I just, um, and then they get transferred and they're so disappointed that they try to look for an alternative and just mm. decide to, to stay at home. So you live yeah. your life pretty much on call then, huh? Um, yeah, I do completely. I'm almost never off call. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> which is, which is fine. It just means totally. I have to, I have to stay in the lowlands to get my nature time. <laughs> but, mm-hmm. Wow. I guess I'm wondering if you just have any kind of message for the women out there who are serving, but they are still in the system and they're trying to, uh, like I told you before we were recording, I work with a lot of women who are doulaing or midwifing in the system and they, they just are 
afraid. They're afraid of the social backlash. They're afraid of finances. They're afraid of um, the risk. You know, they're afraid of all these things. And so they're really challenged by kind of what their next move is, but they're, they're sick of seeing the violence and coming into an awareness that they're actually enabling it by, you know, participating in it in one way or another. And so, yeah, I just wonder what, what you might say to those women out there. Oh Lord, I, 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 it's hard to think of anything without being just like super cheesy. Um, Go for it. Like, I, I think just like completely follow your heart and trust that spirit's got you and just like put a prayer into the universe that like send me the people who are supposed to be with me in a good way. And I will, tr- I will give them the best care, which means not holding regs above who they are, you know, not mm-hmm. holding regs above someone's body. And you know, the more of us who can practice this way, the more, the more support and protection there is for all of us. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the better care there is for birthing people. And, you know, the more we can shift this paradigm completely. And so I, and, you know, I I have felt completely safe in my practice and I've been practicing for 10 years now. And so you can do it. (laughs) Like like, basically just like, just do it. Follow your heart. It'll be fine. Yeah. Hmm, Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time and your stories and your energy and your devotion to this important work. Yeah, same. Thank you. that's it for today, everyone. Join us next week for another episode of the Free Birth Podcast. Thanks for joining us. And remember, your body, your choice. Lots of love.